life. How y'all doing? Come on, let's put our hands together and celebrate Jesus. Come on. I'm so excited to be here and uh, I bring greetings from uh, Baltimore, Maryland, outside of Baltimore. We're actually from a town called Odenton. Somebody say Odenton. And if you spell Odenton backwards phonetically, it says nothing to do. So I'm letting you know that some good stuff can come out of places where there's nothing to do. Come on, somebody. Uh, speaking of nothing to do, I got three kids because there's nothing to do. I really love my wife. She's awesome, and I'm just so excited that, man, that, uh, that, that she found me. I found her. We have a beautiful family uh, outside of Odenton. God's doing some great things. And before I get started, I just want to honor uh, this house, honor Pastor Brady and his amazing team. Can we give it up for the New Life team here at the New Life Conference? And, and I don't know if you noticed, but I'm a lot different than you all are. Have you noticed? I'm taller. <laughs> I'm handsomer, I can dance, you can't. <laughs> your, conf- your conference is named Rhythm, I think that's funny. I think that's funny. <laughs> but we're building a diverse church in, in Odenton, Maryland, and, and it, the story is actually incredible, and, and it's called I-5 Church. You may say, what is I-5 Church? We actually did a series called, What the Heck is I-5? And typically, when you have a predominantly African-American church, it has a long name like First Apostles, Creed of the New Emancipation Life Center. And so we wanted our name to be a conversation, not a presentation. We did not want to be stereotyped. So the I stands for impact. In Matthew 25, 31 through 46, Jesus says, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me a drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was naked, you clothed me. When I was sick and in prison, you cared for me. Food, water, shelter, clothing, and care. That's our missional points. We have five missional points. And and, you know, we say at I-5 Church that we are not an outreach. We don't have an outreach department. We are an outreach that's powered by a church. And I believe that God has called us to be the hands and feet of Jesus Christ. And how can we be the hands and feet of Jesus if we don't have the heart of Jesus? And I believe that God is calling the church. God is calling leaders. God is calling pastors that would not uh, 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 promote our agenda that would not live by our preferences, but there's two uh, values that guide us at I-5 Church. And those values are simply this, that we would live beyond our preferences and we would love beyond our preferences. That's the ministry of Christ. In fact, all of us are sitting here and we know the Great Commission, right? And in Matthew 18 and 19, 28, 18 and 19, it says, and Jesus came and spoke to them saying, somebody say all. All authority has been given to me In heaven and on earth, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Have you guys ever did this when you were little? Like, you know, here's the church. Can y'all do that with me? And here's the steeple. Open the door and hear all my peoples. Come on. When I look at all my peoples, they're black. (laughs) What color are your peoples? Mine are black. Dr. Martin Luther King said something very powerful. He said, we have to face the sad fact that Sunday school is the most segregated school in America. And church and Sundays is the most segregated day of the week. Why is that? You see, I believe that God is calling the church, not just our church, not just my church, but your church to be dynamically diverse. Pastor, what does that mean? But dynamically diverse simply means this, having a multifaceted expression to a multifaceted community. You see, a lot of us, we're, we're reading books on church culture, aren't we? We're talking about cracking the culture code and We're talking about what kind of culture that we want to have in our church. Do we want to have a relational culture? Do we want to have a forgiveness culture? You know, what kind of culture do we want to have? But I believe that before we talk about our agenda and our culture, that we must first have what I call a Christ culture. 
You see, the Christ culture, it looks beyond the differences of our skin, our, our backgrounds, our origins, our worship styles, our personal preferences, and we establish heaven on earth. Come on, somebody. You see, the Christ culture equals anybody, everybody, and everyone. In Matthew chapter 5, 14 and 15, it says this. Here's another way to put it. Look at the person next to you. says, here's another way to put it. I mean, y'all going to talk to me. Y'all in my church right now. It's my church right now. Now look at your second favorite, the other choice, the other person. And say, here's another way to put it. You are here bringing out the God colors of the world. God is not a secret to be kept. We're going public with this as public as a city on a hill. Here's the deal, man. Our, our mission our passion is to bring out the God colors of the, the, the world. And, and, and I want to tell you that God's not all white. His colors are not all white. They're not all black. They're not all Asian. They're not all Hispanic. They're not. I believe the God colors are red because we're all bought with the blood of Jesus Christ. So here's the deal. I believe that the church has not experienced its greatest day yet. Because Jesus says here, in, in, in our great commission, he says, all authority for all nations. <laughs> okay. So could it be that we're only experiencing some of God's authority because we're only after some of his people? Could it be that the church has not experienced her greatest day yet because of our personal preferences and whether we play music and clap on the one and the three or the two and the four or organs or guitars or, or gators or kohans or skinny jeans or baggy jeans? John 3.16 says, Whosoever believes in me shall not perish and have everlasting life. Here's, here's what we're going to give. We're going to give a life app, and we give life apps at I-5 Church, and life apps is simply this. If you fall asleep, just remember this. If I'm not good, just hopefully this is good. It takes a diverse church to reach a diverse city. And let me tell you something. Diversity is not just black and white. There's so many levels of diversity. There's socioeconomic and gender and generational and style and religion and sexual preference. And, and there's so many levels, but we get caught up. We can't get to the other levels because we're not addressing the largest level, which is all nations. I'm a little excited. I want to tell you a story. How many of you all were around in 1983? Anybody? I could tell because your worship was stuck. You were like, oh, man, my knee. <laughs> All the younger people would jump, and you were like. In 1983, I, I, I played 8 to 10 basketball with, you know, my dad was the coach. And how many of you dads, you coach your sons, right? You guys coach your sons. I don't, my son is not playing for a dad who's coaching because, you know, like my dad, he didn't have many wins in life, so I was the star player. Come on, somebody. And so my dad was, uh, 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 you know, he was my coach, and we had a basketball team, and, and we made it to the 8 to 10 county championship game. And here, earlier in the season, we had lost to one team, and this one team had one player. His name was Lomax. Somebody say Lomax. And we were all like 3'8", and Lomax was like 4'5". This dude could smack the glass at 9 years old. And my dad was like, man, you know, we can win. We were like, uh-uh, they got Lomax. He's like, we can do it. I was like, uh-uh, they got Lomax. And he says, I got a game plan. So he comes with the game plan. And he says, here's what we're going to do, boys. And we're all looking at him like we got to pee, go to the bed, you know. And he's like, you know, we're going to play as a team. We're going to move the ball around. We're not going to waste any opportunities. And lastly, we're never going to give up. And he says it again. All right, repeat after me, boys. Play as a team. Play as a team. Move the ball. Move the ball. What's the next one? Don't waste any opportunities and never give up. So the championship game. We're at the game, and, and uh, we're all excited, but we see Lomax over there. We know we're going to lose. And my dad's like, play as a team. Move the ball around. Don't waste any opportunities. Never give up. First quarter, man, it was a great game. It was, it was us 16, Lomax 17. He had all 17 points. Come on, somebody. 
End of the second quarter, it was us 24, Lomax 25. He had all 25 points. End of the, end of the fourth quarter, 10 seconds to go in the game. My dad calls a timeout. Timeout! So we all know what's going to happen. We're down by one. It was us, 33, Lomax 34. My dad's like, timeout, we sit on the bench. He's looking down the bench. We're kind of avoiding him. I got a bulldog, and he avoids me when he does something bad, you know? Because I know what he's going to do. He's going to ask who's going to take the shot. So he's looking down the bench. I'm like, and I know what he's going to do because he didn't have many wins in life. He says, Jimmy, you're going to take the shot. So I get on the bench, and I'm like, yeah, I'm going to take the shot. I start to hyperventilate. No lie. It's a true story. <sighs> I can't breathe. And, 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 and then my mom comes out the stands. Moms, how many moms are here today? How, how do you have in your purse what's needed for every occasion? <laughs> my mom comes out, and she has a brown paper bag. It's got chicken grease, because, you know, all black people eat fried chicken, and it's got chicken grease on there, and, and I'm breathing into the bag. Uh, uh, and my dad's yelling at me, boy, take the shot. We get out on the field, I mean, on the court, and we're, I dribble down, I pass the ball, because they, they knew I was going to take the shot, so I, they covered me. So they passed the ball. They pass. You see, in the last 10 seconds, every single player had to be willing to take the shot. The ball finally got around to me. Set a screen, I come off, Lomax comes out, I get the ball in my hands, five, four, three, two, one. I let it go with my eyes closed, and it goes in, and we win the eight to 10 <laughs> county championship. Yeah, I expected a little bit more from that. Uh, I, ha I have in my notes, people cheer loudly here. Okay. Okay. <laughs> Can I tell you guys something? that there's an opposition to unity. And it's not a four foot five inch dude named Lomax who can smack the glass. It's something that's been around for generations. And it's time to deal with it. I mean, look at the front page, man. We, we've got Michael Brown and Ferguson and Trayvon Martin and Riley Cooper and, and all of these things and Incon and all of these issues that are coming up. And guess what? The church is too quiet. Our opponent is racism. Our opponent is having prejudice in our heart. Our opponent is having generational strongholds that have been passed down from generation to generation. Our, our problem with the African-American community is we somehow feel like we can have justified unforgiveness. But the last time I checked, my Bible says that if we don't forgive people on earth, God in heaven won't forgive us. So what do we do with this? Got to change the mindsets of people. You see, the last time I checked in Psalms 133, it says, How good and pleasant it is when brethren dwell together in unity. Do you know that whenever there's unity, there's a suddenly? Did you know that? Did you know when God, when everyone can get on the same page, we can do anything? Did you feel the unity in worship this morning? Did you feel the presence of God this morning? Do you know that people can be healed in the, and, and come on somebody, in the presence of God? But we got to get unified. We got to get on the same page. You know what happened in the upper room when they were all together in one place, man? They begin to relate to one another. They begin to speak each other's language where they were doing life relationally. And out of that life relationally, there became this flunky named Peter who was always forgetting who Jesus was and always failing the test. And Peter says, I got a sermon. And 3,000 people get saved. Why? Because of unity. How many of you all want suddenlies in your church? How many of you want suddenlies in your life? Then we got to unify, baby. What's killing it? What's the opponent? We've got legislation but no love. We've got white hands signing in black ink and black hands writing on white paper, but at the end of the day, no one's holding hands. I believe it all starts with something called stereotyping. That's where I believe it originates. When we start to just have preferences, because we don't, when we start to just believe what other people say about a certain race or a certain person, and we have no experience ourselves, but we begin to 
come to these mindsets. Does anybody know what I'm talking about? My wife and I, we live in a great community, and we have a neighbor who, uh, she has a garden, and she's planting um, vegetables and herbs, and I'm a pastor, but I'm sometimes a thief. <laughs> you know, and, and so I was like, I asked her, I was like, man, what you, what you got? And she's like, well, I'm, I'm growing some tomatoes, and I'm growing some fruit, and I was so excited. And she, and she says, you know, you know, I, you know, I just let's just watch it grow. And so, you know, day, night after night, nothing was go, nothing, nothing was happening. And we were like, what is going on? And and there was a stem, but no fruit. There was a stem, but no, but 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 no uh, 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 production of what it was trying to grow. And 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 she said, Jimmy, are you stealing my stuff? <laughs> I was like, no. And one night, I got up in the middle of the night and I saw some deer. And deer were taking all the fruit. Can I tell you that stereotyping is stealing the fruit of the church? It's stealing the fruit of a generation who is looking to grow, who is looking to develop, who is looking to produce. Let me tell you, the greatest opponent to unity and diversity is stereotyping. What is stereotyping? Stereotyping is when we classify other people according to an opinion, a, a, a conventional or common opinion, m many times based on misconceptions. It's like the woman who gets on the, the plane and you know, she, you don't want to sit next to her because she's, she, she's by herself and she has a kid and the kid is setting it off. Y'all know what I'm talking about? <laughs> setting it off. And you're like complaining and you're turning, you're like, man, what is up with, but you mean we have no idea that this woman, her husband just left her and she has no money to pay her bills and, and somebody, but we've stereotyped her and so we've lost the opportunity to minister to her because we have classified her as someone who doesn't deserve to be on this plane with me because I'm trying to travel on vacation and she's trying to find a place to live. I love in 1 Corinthians 9, 19 and 23, where Paul smashes stereotypes. He says this, even though I am free of the demands and expectations of everyone, I have voluntarily, I signed up for this, become a servant to any and all in order to reach a wide range of people. Religious, non-religious, meticulous, moralist, loose living moralist, the defeated, the demoralized, whoever. I didn't take on their way of life. I kept my bearings in Christ. But I entered into their world and tried to experience things from their point of view. I have become just about every sort of servant there is in my attempts to lead those into a God-saved life. I did it because of the message. I didn't want to talk about it. I wanted to be in on it. How about we put our mission where our mouth is? I want to be in on it, man. I want to be a part of it. Paul smashes stereotypes. You know, and, and I started thinking about this, and let's have a little fun with this. Is that all right? Can I be uh, not politically correct for about the next 15 minutes? Is that all right? We're going to talk about some common stereotypes. Have you ever seen the movie or White Men Can't Jump? Right, I, don't, I think that's a lie because y'all was jumping in worship this morning. You know what I'm saying? At least those who were born after 1983. <laughs> Did you know that African Americans think that or black people think that white people can't jump? Let me let, me let y'all in on a little something, white people. How many of y'all white? Raise your hand if you're white. <laughs> All y'all. Okay. It, did you know that black people think that you don't season your food? Look, look, the, the one black guy's laughing. He's like, yeah, every time they invite me after church, uh, I got seasonal in my pocket so I can throw it in the, you know. <laughs> you know, we got this stereotype that all black people wear saggy jeans, right? But I don't think you'd want to see me in skinny jeans, baby. That'd be offensive. Come on, somebody. You ever seen a big dude with skinny jeans, and he looked like he's smuggling two hams. <laughs> really, dude? Really? You know, white people think that all black people eat is fried chicken and watermelon, you know? Y'all laughing because y'all be thinking it, you know? 
dance and all white people can't dance. Y'all was, y'all, the girl right here that was on the end, I was like, let me tell y'all what, what, what black people do when they see white people with rhythm. Look at that, go girl. Oh, shucks. I was sitting there, I was like, go girl. She was getting it. But she was counting one, two, three. I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking, I'm joking, I'm joking. I'm joking, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. <laughs> well, let me tell you guys something. I'm black. I can't jump. I can't dance. And my favorite food is Italian food. So I just smashed your stereotypes, baby. Come on, give it up for me. You see, I believe that when we're talking about building church, we're talking about being his church, that literally that my next life app is this. We have to stop building our church and start being his church. <laughs> Who do men say that your church is because of your expression of church? I want to give you five pitfalls of stereotypes, and then we'll, we'll smash those. But the first pitfall of stereotype is stereotypes divide. Stereotypes divide. In Galatians 3.28, it says this, In Christ's family, there can be no division into Jew, non-Jew, slave, or free, male or female. Among us, you are all equal. That is, we are all in common relationship with Jesus Christ. Isn't that a good scripture? I went to uh, uh, a college, a Bible college. I won't say the name of the college just in case there's a professor here that I want to punch after. I'm just joking. Uh, I was one of 15 African-Americans of 750 students. I mean, my best friend, his name was Jake. He's white, Jake, right? And, uh, and <laughs> Jake, you know what I mean? If I said Leroy, you'd be like, okay, he's black. You know? <laughs> so Jake and I, man, we were best of friends, man. And we was, we, you know, we would, uh, you, know, uh, just do, you know, just be boys hanging out, doing stuff that we shouldn't have done at Bible college because we were there for the wrong reasons. They had girls. I'm married now. Man, I'll never forget we went to this chapel. It was Missions Chapel. So, you know, we skipped a lot of chapels. I led worship. I was a part of the worship teams and, and all of that. And, and we were at chapel. And in this Missions Chapel, this guy gets up and he has the worst tie on you ever seen. Y'all ever seen a bad tie? Right? There's some bad tie. I don't want that for Christmas. This guy had the worst tie ever. Everyone was looking at this tie, look at this tie, look at this tie, look at this tie. Look at this tie. And we're talking about what we're going to get into for the night. And, and all of a sudden, in his sermon, amongst his, his three points and his, and his clothes and, and his altar call, he decides to tell a racial joke. And he uses the N-word. Now, hold on. This is Church. This is my boy. I'm sitting next to my boy. He's white. I'm black. But instantly when he said that, we were instantly divided. And all the, the attention went off the tie to me. I felt like the bad tie. Let me ask you a question. Are there people in your churches that feel like a bad tie? Are there people in our communities that feel like a bad tie? Are, is our church bad tie proof? Is my life bad tie proof? Stereotypes divide. Number two, stereotypes produce prejudice. See, I don't believe that anyone wakes up and they're prejudiced. No, they're taught. It's learned. You see, what, what is prejudice? It's prejudgment. It's deciding about something before you have the opportunity to know something. It, you see, what happens with prejudice is this. Listen to this. Opinions become preferences. Preferences become standards. Standards become traditions. Uh, traditions become philosophy, and philosophy becomes religion. And then we have no relationship. We got religion. We've got standards that people need to live up to because of prejudice. Stereotypes divide, they produce prejudice. Number three, they feed ignorance. They feed ignorance. There's a story when I was in college, is this, it, was, it was freshman day. Like all the freshmen would come in and I was a junior and you know, I wasn't married then, so I would always go to the freshman, you know, chapel because I was looking for a wife. Come on, somebody. 
but I was one of 15 African Americans and the denomination we in, they, weren't, they wouldn't have in that. That's a whole nother message. Some of y'all are like, I get it, okay, I get it. And so uh, I go and I'm looking, I'm at, I'm at lunch and this boy is looking at me, I'm looking at him. He's little, I'm big. He's a cross, little white guy, you know, just, just you know, fresh into college and I'm staring at him, he's staring at me. I want to go boo because I'm the big black guy, you know, and scare him, but I did it. And I was like, dude, what are you looking at? He's like, your palms are white. It was the first time he'd ever seen an African-American face-to-face. No lie. I was like, really? Guess what? He's like, what? I said, my rear end is too. You want to see it? Stereotypes feed ignorance. You see, ignorance, and when we stereotype, it's when your mind decides to stop learning. It's when your mind decides to stop learning. You see, ignorance is the view of the narrow-minded. Stereotypes also produce a critical heart. In our church, we were, we were, we, we were somewhat diverse. We are probably 3% diverse. <laughs> Now understand our community is 76% white, yet our church was almost 100% African American. And so, uh, you know, I started, I came in with changes, and here we go, we're taking the, the B3 off the stage, and, you know, we're going to introduce songs like Hillsong. Everybody was like, what's that? Is there a, a song on a hill? You know, I'm, I'm dead serious. There's some black folks that have no idea who Desperation Band is. I know, because we do y'all's music. Absolutely. I want a free CD. And that's not because I'm black, all right? <laughs> so this lady, right, she, you know, we're changing the music, and, you know, we got, you know, we got our vision on the wall, and there's, you know, we got white people on the wall, because, you know, I believe that we got to speak those things that be not as though they already were, and so, you know, we're putting stuff on the walls, and, and, and we started doing a, 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 the song a different way. Y'all know the song Break Every Chain? So we were doing it, you know, we started doing it, there is power in the name. And then people was clapping on the one and the three instead of the two and the four, right? Break every chain, right? And the lady was like, oh, pastor, we got to change our music. Yeah, you know, because we used to sing it like this. There is power in the name of Jesus. Break every chain. She goes, the presence of God is not in that song because we're doing it the white way. She goes, we need to do it like Tasha Cobb. I was like, she didn't write that song. And ma'am, you've missed the whole point of the song. It doesn't matter the style that we do it in. The song says there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Doesn't matter if we have an organ or guitars. Come on, somebody. Doesn't matter what beat we clap on. It doesn't matter how much emotion we put into the song. The last time I checked, it was God's spirit that changes the atmosphere, not the emotional response of people on earth. It's produced a critical heart. Number five, it kills opportunity for relationship. Last year, my grandmother went home to be with the Lord, and she was older. And, uh, you know, she, she, I couldn't believe this. I went over to visit her because she was on her, she was going to be going, be going to be going home with the Lord. And so I went to the house and I said, grandma, how you doing? She was still like talking. And she said, I mean, you'll never guess what happened today. I said, what happened, grandma? She said, she said, a, a, a white man came to my house. I said, grandma, are you 87 years old? That's the first time a white man ever was in your house? She said, yeah. I said, so, so what happened? She goes, I asked him for a hug. I said, really? She said, yeah. I said, how was it? She goes, it was great. I said, Grandma, you know what they say? She says, what? I said, once you go white, you never go back. <laughs> but it's a shame that she had no opportunity for relationship with someone that she would need until she was on her deathbed and really had a need. You have no idea who will be there for you and who you'll need in a moment where all hope is gone. 
So how do we deal with these stereotypes? See, I believe my dad was onto something. He said, play as a team. Can you say that? Say, play as a team. We all are on the same team, baby. We all are on the same team. And, and 1 Corinthians 12, 4, it says there are diversity of gifts but the same spirit. There are differences of ministry but the same Lord. There are diversity of activity but the same God who works in us all. Listen, our job is not to make duplicates. Our job is to make disciples. We got to make disciples of men, not duplicates of our preferences. I walked into the conversation with my kids. I got three kids. Two of them are awesome. One's kind of a jerk. <laughs> he got it honest. And they were having this conversation. I walked in, me and my wife, and I understand my wife is mixed. Her dad is French-Canadian, right? Her mom is Zambian. He is as white as white can get, and she is as black as black can get. But they made a good mix, baby. My wife is If I ask them for my coffee, people ask me, uh, how do you like your coffee? I said, look at my wife. That's how I want to make it look just like her. If you're watching, girl, I love you, baby. <laughs> so she had this, she had this, uh, they were having this conversation. My daughter, Maya, she's, she was nine. And she's like, guess what? They were talking about colors. Do you know what? And I was like, we're talking about different colors. Jaden, my son, you know, my kids change colors with the seasons. So it depends on how hot it is outside, right? <laughs> Y'all know what I'm saying? Like, when you're mixed, you just change. You just change. So Jaden, Jaden's caramel. Well, Kayla, she's cocoa. They're talking about colors. Mommy, she's beige. And then I was upset because they whispered about mine, my color. Daddy's really black. <laughs> I'm saying, why? Why you got to whisper about me? I was upset. And they started arguing about which color was better. And I said, guys, hold on for a second. They were like, what's up, Dad? I said, it doesn't matter what color we are. The fact is, is that we are all Rollins. And Rollins allows us to be on the same team. Can I tell you that it doesn't matter what color you are. It doesn't matter the name of your church. It doesn't matter the city you're in. It doesn't matter the style of music you prefer or the style of preaching you prefer. We are all on the same team because the name of Jesus is what reigns over us. We got to play as a team. I believe this. You can tweet it, text it, whatever you want. If we're not diverse, we're diluted. If we're not diverse, we're diluted. Number two, my dad said, play as a team, move the ball around. What that meant was is every single church, every single person, every single uh, 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 nation has to be willing to take the shot at any moment. Are we willing to take the shot or... Are we comfortable because we don't want to disrupt the, the big givers in our church? Yeah, I came down your row. There it was. <laughs> mm -hmm. Welcome. Hi, how you doing? <laughs> Guys, mood, unity requires everyone. It requires everyone. In Acts 1.8 it says, and you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses in where? Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the uttermost parts of the earth. You see that word uttermost part in the original uh, language, it means uh, a word, I can't say it, it's, it's a hard Greek word. But it means time, space, and rank. Let me tell you something. If you want to reach all nations, you're going to have to go to the uttermost, which is beyond your comfort zone. And that's the people you spend the least amount of time with the people you're furthest from, and the people that are last on your list. On. Uttermost. All of you have an uttermost. I have an uttermost. Yes. We all have an uttermost. You cannot conquer what you won't confront. Right. We got to play as a team. We got to move the ball around. <laughs> Anybody got a cell phone? Can you take out your cell phone? You got a cell phone? I got the six. <laughs> and I didn't steal it. I bought it with a gold credit card. I'm black and got gold. Come on, somebody. I 
did this in my staff. We were all African-American. I said, this is our vision. I said, everybody take out your phones. They were looking at me crazy. I said, look at your favorites. I said, how many people, what's the diversity look like in your favorites? Man, the room was silent just like it is now. Beyond business contacts. I said, let's take it a step further. How many contacts do you have in your phone? I got like 775, 775. I said, what, what, how many diverse people are in your contacts? Because here's what I believe, that just as we preach pastors, that where our treasure is, that's where our heart is, I believe your cell phone can tell on you what you think about diversity. I came down your row again. It's real. We got to play as a team. We got to move the ball around. You see, I, I believe that if we don't have diversity, my next life app is this, that in order for us to move from the great omission to the great commission, there must be a great submission. If we're not after all, we don't have the great commission, we got the great omission. Who are we after? We got to not waste any opportunities, and I'm almost done. Paul said, I can't waste any opportunities. I got to be in on it. I gotta, I'm not going to lose who I am, but I'm going to get into their world. Me and my wife were in Buena Vista, Colorado two years ago. Y'all know what that is? They've got one traffic light, and they had one black guy, me. And I knew if something went down, my wife would just go with the white people. She'd be like, uh-uh, we're outnumbered. I'm white. And I never forget, man, we were in this restaurant. We were there for two weeks. We were in marriage counseling. They have a, a crossroads marriage counseling center. And we were, we just, you know, I believe this, pastors. Don't be so, you know, uh, purpose to building your ministry that you lose your marriage. And so we, we were there for two weeks of counseling. And, and uh, we were in this restaurant. And I'll never forget it. I, honestly, I was the only guy in the whole entire city. We were at this restaurant and people came in and there was a family of eight that came in. And there was this guy, he was about this tall and he was built and he was looking at me, staring at me. And I was deciding if I was going to be the angry black guy because ain't nobody know me here. I could turn it all out. I will flip tables up in this joint. But then I think guns are like legal here to carry or something. So I decided I was going to be the good black guy. Right? And so... They're staring at us. We're staring at them, and my wife is listening. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit spoke to me. He said, this is an opportunity. The Holy Spirit said, pay for their dinner. I said, there's a two-top over there. Can I pay for theirs? There's, there's eight right there. And I felt the Holy Spirit just says, no, this is an opportunity. And so the bill was like $300. And I pulled out my gold card. Come on, somebody. <laughs> I called the waitress over. I got the whole attention of the whole restaurant because God was showing up. This, is a, this was an opportunity. And all of a sudden, I said, I want to I pay for their, their food. And all of a sudden, this, this waitress, this white lady, she just, something melted in her. She started telling people something melted. We changed. Do you know that one person can change the atmosphere? One word from God. Come on, somebody. Just one thought. Come on, one drop of his anointing can change the whole game. I felt God's anointing in that moment, man, and we paid. And, and on the way out, he's walking. He's looking tough. And I said, put out my hand. He just looked at it. I shook his hand. First time ever I could tell he had ever touched an African-American. I said, God bless you. What did I do? I changed his stereotype because I didn't waste the opportunity. How many opportunities have we wasted? Got to play as a team, move the ball around, not waste any opportunities. And lastly, we got to never, ever, ever give up. Just because we don't seem like we're winning. It's the fourth quarter. I believe Jesus is looking down the bench for a church who won't hyperventilate. Looking down the road saying, will you take the shot? Will 
Will you reach out to your city? Will you get past your ideologies, your misconceptions? As someone comes to play the keys, I just want to end with this story. We were uh, my wife and I were in Jacksonville, Florida, two years ago, and um, we were going on to a pastor's house after a major conference, the art conference, and we got on this bus to to get there, and there was this 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 guy from Miss, Mississippi. And I'm not going to lie, I had kind of stereotyped him because he, was, he looked like Miami Vice. He was built and, you know, I wasn't. <laughs> I'm getting there. And I was making sure my wife wasn't staring at him, you know what I mean? And he talked with the thickest southern accent. How you doing, pastor? I had totally misjudged him, misstereotyped him. And he starts telling me how he's a pastor in Mississippi and he's, he wants to change the, the city where he's in. He wants to change. And I was like, bro, you live in Mississippi. He's like, I want a diverse church. And I said, I said so, so tell me your story. And he starts telling me the story how he took over this church and it was all white and the racism and all the junk and his heart for diversity. He says, can you give me some tips? And I said, I don't know, bro. I'm, I'm trying to do this thing myself. And, and, and I believe that God wants, he's after something. I believe he's after something. I believe that God wants to move mightily. And I believe we got to drop our preferences. And he, and he starts talking to me and he says, uh, uh, one day a knock, I got a knock on my door. I said, you know, he said, it was a little black lady. It's a true story. And she says, Pastor. She's like in her 80s. I heard you've been trying to diversify this church. And, and he said, he said, uh, yes, ma'am. And, and she goes, Pastor, this church will never get diverse. And he said, why? And she grabbed him by the hand and they strolled out back. And she said, Pastor, you see that tree? He said, yes, ma'am. She said, slaves hung on that tree tears flowing down his face. And she says, Pastor, if, if, if you want this church to get diverse, you're going to have to cut that tree down. So she left and he called all of his deacons and called all of his elders together and they got chainsaws out. And they had a tree cutting praise party. Come on, somebody. Uh-huh. Come on, come on, come on. A tree cutting praise party. And they began to hack the tree down. And the tree came down, man. It was awesome. And that's what we're doing here this morning, man. We're cutting the tree down. That's what we're doing. That's what you're going to do in your city. You're going to go back and you're going to cut the tree down. And I asked him, did your church diversify? He said, no. And the Holy Spirit just, just dropped it in my spirit. I said, hey, bro. What's in your heart? He said, what do you mean? I said, well, did you address the root system? He says, what, what do you mean? I said, well, I know that the tree might have stood tall, but the roots go deep. I said, bro, you need to remove the stump. And here's the deal. You can go and try to cut the tree down, and it's going to be awesome. You can go, and, and you can put African Americans on your worship team, and you can go, and you can reach your city, and you can get Asian people to come to your church, and you can reach out to the diverse churches in the, in the nation or in your, in your country, in your city. Whatever you want to do, you, you can do that. And that's all good. But what's the use of cutting the tree down if you're not going to deal with the roots in your heart? Stump things that have been there for generations. I believe there's power in the name of Jesus to break every chain. Father, right now, I ask that you would transform And here's what I'm going to do. I, I, I don't do this, but the spirit in this church is unbelievable. 
Like it's unbelievable. Like worship is unbelievable. So y'all are different. And I'm gonna ask you, if you're in this room and you're bold enough to say, Pastor, I've got some prejudice in my heart. I, I've got some things, I've got some stereotypical thinking and, and I've kind of classified and you're bold enough to walk up to this altar. I want to pray for you. I want to hug you. I want to have a first fruit of racial reconciliation right here. Is there anybody that's bold enough to say, I need to play as a team, move the ball around, not waste any opportunities and never give up right now, Pastor. God bless you, man. Y'all are soldiers, man. World changers. Father, transform our hearts. Transform our minds. We repent, Jesus. Put us under spiritual arrest. Captivate every dark place, every secret place by the power of the Holy Spirit. I pray that you invade every secret place, every nook and cranny of areas that we have hid of division. Do what's never been done before. Rock our world, Jesus, with unity. We give it to you. We leave it at the altar. In the name Jesus, I want to pray. Some of the pastors and leaders can just come and help us pray. And we want a team. I don't know, Pastor Brady, whatever you In the name of Jesus, there is power.
testimony, if, if you will. When I took over the leadership of our church and we began to go after diversity and unity and a culture of everybody, when I first took over, we had about 200 people leave our church. My parents' entire board left the church. But God told me to be like Nehemiah and stay on the wall. There's going to be sand ballads and Tobias that are trying to pull you down off the wall. But we stayed the course. And 500 or so members went down to, I don't even know. But God said, stay the course. And two and a half years later, Last Sunday, we had 1,500 people at our church. And I simply tell you that because of this, because where there is unity, there is suddenness. And what you've been sweating over, laboring over, praying over, when you have an all-inclusive culture, I believe that God exclusively shows up and does a miracle. So I want to just release a prayer, an impartation over you of diversity. Father, in the name of Jesus, <laughs> every church, every city, God, I pray that you would make this conference a mouthpiece of diversity. Father, I pray that you would make these pastors a mouthpiece of diversity. Father, I pray and we abolish every spiritual stronghold. We come against, Father, everything that has been rooted in generational curses and generational strongholds. And Father, we pray that you would build an army. Like my dad says, there is no division in the foxhole. And God, I pray that we would look at this as we're going out in the foxhole together. God, God, to win the war on diversity, to win the war on racism, to win the war on prejudice. And in the mighty name of Jesus, I pray that you would uh, arise an army, that there would be an army that would arise up, that would be the mouthpiece of your spirit. In Jesus' name. And everybody went crazy for God and said amen. Come on. God bless you.